if you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Five years from now, there's going to be 50 million VR headsets out there. So it'll be pretty common for people to have in their home. VR training, VR education are the way most people are going to get their first substantial exposure to VR. How would you like to show your latest creative project to a team in another part of the world that can actually make tweaks in real time and in 3D? Or possibly to attend a conference in an immersive environment with people from all over the world without leaving your living room. Or even to play a game or watch a movie with family members in another state or even another country through immersive technology. Futurist, author, Forbes columnist, and educator Charlie Fink says not only is that possible right now, it's getting more so by the day. Charlie is the author of three books on extended reality, including his new one, Remote Collaboration, Virtual Conferences, and the Future of Work, published in summer 2020. Charlie, you start your new book by saying it was a 10-week sprint. I wish you would share the story of creating that with me now. Well, it just meant that we had 10 weeks left of class as we were in quarantine starting March 5th. So we decided to spend the balance of the class trying to figure out how one would collaborate or train or teach using the available tools like video conferencing from Zoom all the way through fully embodied VR. Let's look in the context of a work day at some of the tools that you share in your new book. Let's say, for example, someone's in the creative field, they teach as you do, and they may not know what's available that's either low budget or free. What, at the beginning of a workday, could a creative person be using right now in the way of remote collaboration technologies that are new? Well, for creative people, there are certain sites like Spatial, which specialize in providing a tools to collaborate. But there are other sites, just probably that's the biggest. You might be going to a meeting inside of Verbella, which is a video game-like platform on your PC. So you are, like in Second Life, navigating a 3D world through your 2D screen. But there's a good bit of agency in it, and you're using your keypad to sort of move your avatar around. And it's very good with spatial sound. There's an entire company called EXP Realty that operates exclusively in Verbella as its office. You might be going to a virtual conference on a platform like Zoom, or perhaps using Hopin or one of the other Microsoft Teams. Yeah, I mean, there's so many other platforms. There's Arthur, there's Glue. Gosh, there's a whole list of them. But, you know, there's Mozilla Hubs. There's some really dozens of them to choose from, depending on what your taste is. But it's a category which is crowded. It was going to be crowded without the pandemic. Obviously, that accelerated things. People jumped in. One company that was a location-based entertainment company, Spaces, pivoted to remote collaboration and was promptly acquired by Apple. So some people have had very happy endings. Certainly for other people, it's facilitated fundraising, although I understand that's getting harder and harder by the day. But you know, venture capitalists have been active during the pandemic. So 
It the pandemic has accelerated things, right? So things that were failing, like retail, are really failing. <laughs> and things like telemedicine, which has been trying to happen for over twenty five years, has never been a question of technology. But boom, it's happened. So, you know, and of course, I believe the pandemic probably changed the outcome of the U.S. election. We can see the economy is doing very well. We've gotten another round of stimulus. So, in all. You know, despite the tragic and unnecessary death toll, one may argue, looking back on this period, that it was an important and necessary transition to a digital economy. Finally, where bits have the same value as atoms. This has been incredible. It's it is true. On one hand, we've got this incredible, unspeakable tragedy. On the other, whoa, at the innovation. When you mentioned spatial, and you're going to see me crib for my notes here, because I wrote that one down. I wrote spatial automatically creates a dimensional avatar. How does this work? Uh, they have the big oh wow of all the avatars because they take some of your social media pictures and they blend them together and recreate your appearance. Wow. And everybody is like, oh my god! Right, the first time you see them, they are absolutely mind blowing. Now. Once you get going and you're working and you're collaborating, I mean, I've been on that site 50 times at this point. I've taught classes, bring corporate tours through spatial all the time. So I'm a friend and an advocate for the company. But I will say this about quote unquote realistic avatars be careful what you wish for. It's big, oh wow. But the third or fourth time you go in there, it's like, this is kind of creepy. My facial expressions are frozen, you know, I'm not blinking. <laughs> I think is accurate, but they put a little strip of white where your teeth should be. So it, it has that uncanny valley thing. I'm not saying that it's terrible. I mean, there are really fun things you could do if you lean into somebody else's avatar. You could literally look out of their eyes, which is just crazy. But you know, be careful what you wish for because the avatars really kind of disappear over time, if you will. The avatars don't matter. Sound matters. You know, what you're doing matters, but the avatars disappear. So having the most realistic avatars, a big, oh, wow. And that is very important right now for people who are seeing these things for the first time. But I hope they build in an option once you've really started to work in there to take away that distraction, hide them, if you will, or choose a you know, more neutral cartoony avatar, which is what most of the other sites do. In fact, I think if I saw an avatar of me, it would scare the daylights out of me because I'm just not used to that yet. It's so much fun to see it the first time. I think that's one of the things they did right. I just don't think it's that practical as your avatar permanently in spatial. I also, in your book, saw the mention of real-time augmented reality. How does this work? Well, Microsoft just announced Mesh, which is a way through a HoloLens or, or a smartphone uh, to network into a virtual space with people who are in VR. Wow. So it has qualities like spatial, which has an emphasis on cross-platform use. It's very important to include PCs and smartphones because you have to meet people where they are. Either there's some place where they don't have access to VR or they don't prefer it, right? You have, to, I mean, there are some people who don't want to put a computer on their face. I know that's hard to believe, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to believe, but yes, I've experienced it before I got my quest. And those same people, when you do put them in VR, although everybody, of course, always has 
you know, their breath taken away at first, but most people are kind of taken aback by the fact that everything looks like a video game. Often the first thing they say is, oh, I'm inside of a video game. I get it now. I don't like video games. This isn't for me. However, it seems like there are a lot of different applications. You mentioned Verbella before, which I experienced for the first time last summer. That was amazing. Verbella is doing extremely well because they meet people where they are and they give them a reasonable amount of agency, a reasonable amount of gestures and ways of moving around and ways of expressing yourself that keeps you leaning in. So that's and and of course they're focused on the sound, spatial sound. You're louder when you're closer. In other words, so you and I, if we wanted a sidebar, we can walk away physically inside of Verbella. So they're doing extremely well and they charge a lot of money. So if you want to have a conference in Verbella for a thousand people, say, and many people have done that already, you pay a lot. Not as much necessarily for a convention center in a major metropolitan area, but a lot by people's standards, you know, tens of thousands. Not that what Verbella does is easy. And Verbella is very unique. And, you know, the problem with Verbella is they have this giant app, just a giant app that you have to download. It can often take with a bad internet connection 10 or 20 minutes. And that's a lot of friction to introduce. Also, because their primary use is for business, the idea that people are downloading outside software onto either their personal computers or onto computers that are you know, the company infrastructure is what they spend their time preventing. (laughs) So no department is going to go convince IT that downloading this giant app is a great idea. That's just like a non-starter on the face of it. And then there were very good reasons for it. So Verbella is working on a web base, a WebXR solution, but it is hard to get the scale that they have of 1,000, 1,500 simultaneous users on the web. That technology is not developed yet. Now, 5G can change that, and it'll be interesting to see how it starts to affect not only remote collaboration, but apps we use every day. So I'm excited about that. Big things have been promised. That's happened before. These are publicly traded companies that often are valued based on their promise not on their current business. So it may be overhyped. I don't have 5G in my area, so I don't have a 5G phone. The phones are a little heavy. They're a little more expensive. Most people doing social media and web surfing, it isn't going to change that activity that much. You will get higher resolution movies, for example, on mobile will be much, much better. So that's kind of the place where a consumer would see it. But it offers interesting possibilities for mobile computing, and in particular, VR and AR, because it's faster access to the AR cloud, which, you know, that's the information that comes from the web and is immediately placed into our physical world. So latency is a very big issue there. 5G, even if it is overhyped, will reduce the amount of latency, which is good for everyone, and will result in more responsive collaboration. It will allow the creators of these experiences to work on things like eye contact and facial movements, right? So those nonverbal cues are so important. They're clearly coming to VR. It's just going to take another generation or so within the next three, five years, I would expect most people would have that. Like I said, this is the beginning of the beginning in this 
transition from atoms to bits. I like to say that I was here at the beginning and it's still the beginning. <laughs> and I so, wonder if it'll be the beginning in 20 years too. You know how these things happen, Dot. It's like the internet, right? It was a fad, not that many people had it. Suddenly in 1996, everyone had to have a personal computer in their home so that they can access the internet. So it went from 25% penetration to, you know, almost 50% penetration, which is, you know, we're talking like 100 million devices in the course of three years. It was really kind of hard to wrap your head around it. But if you were Dell, if you were Gateway, if you were HP, back in 1995, you were about to make a whole lot of money. When you talk about the beginning of the beginning, your book makes the point that the conference industry was created for a world that no longer exists. Where do you see it going within the next three to five years? Well, I think the physical conference will come back. I think the weaker, smaller conferences will go away if they haven't already gone away. But South by Southwest will be in in real. Augmented World Expo, which is the seminal event in my industry, will be live perhaps at the end of the year. That's what they're hoping for. So I don't think, you know, I mean, CES has to be in the physical world. I'm not sure I'll be running to CES next year or Las Vegas anytime soon, even though I just got my first shot of the Pfizer vaccine. But we'll see. I mean, I theoretically, I might, depending on how the next nine months goes. So uh, I do think there are new platforms that have been launched. I mentioned Hopin. It's a billion-dollar unicorn, obviously doing a lot of business right now, helping companies do Zoom conferences. I think Zoom conferences will continue to be a thing. They are very inexpensive to put on relative to putting it on in Verbella or on some larger, like Engage, fully embodied VR platform. So, yeah, so I think the new normal will have a lot of live things, but a lot of the weaker things, the things that were not that financially viable before the pandemic, like location-based VR, you know, that's a very narrow margin business. If you take away 15% of the users, but not a very big number, that business becomes very shaky. So I think that we will go back to normal. Eventually, we will take off our masks, you know, perhaps this time next year, you know, and there will be a new normal. Things will have been built. Things will have been torn down that are not going to be restored. What have you found that you really loved in terms of the newer, smaller applications for either remote collaboration or virtual conferences? Well, as I said, virtual conferences are tough, right? So I think that they're here to stay and they will get better. But so far, they, you know, the one good thing is they have scale, right? Instead of a thousand people or 5,000 people or 10,000, in the case of AWE, you have 100,000 people and people from all over the world who couldn't afford to get there or couldn't physically leave work now have access. So it's hard to call that a bad thing. Now, platform itself of Zoom or Hopin, I find oppressive, difficult to concentrate on, and very hard to do as an all-day thing, whereas it's very easy and, for me, relaxing to be at a conference listening to industry leaders and thought leaders and sitting with the other humans interested in the same things in an audience. So conferences I so far have not seen. The only VR solution I really think could work is Engage. But again, you pay a very high price when you get a thousand people in to engage. During Alvin Grayland's, he's the president of HTC, 
during his presentation, you know, some guy duck walked behind him with his arm sticking out of his chest. Oh, no. So, you know, I think we've got a ways to go on the virtual conferences. Uh, But they're not going away for the reach issue that I just explained. 100,000 people rather than 10,000 people. So there are conference organizers who are going to be like, you know, we should figure out how to do the virtual companion so that we can continue to serve those 90,000 people who couldn't make it. With regard to collaboration, it is developing so quickly. I mean, I've mentioned Verbella, Engage, and Spatial. To me, those are the three right now to keep an eye on. But Microsoft Mesh just introduced Mesh. There are many other sites, Vive Sync, but it's only for PCs, you know, that, that may emerge as important platforms. Because I think we all understand, at least who are doing this, what are table stakes? What is the minimum functionality? And, you know, it's not a secret. You need whiteboards, you need note-taking, you need many of the things that you have in the real that make meetings effective. And within a year, there'll be dozens of sites that all have covered the table stakes. Then it kind of becomes a marketing thing. Right, Because people can't last forever. A lot of these competitors will fall away. There will be consolidation. The FANG companies that do not have technology like Mesh will get involved and make acquisitions. I wouldn't be surprised to see Amazon, for example, acquiring Verbella or Apple vacuuming up Spatial or some other big tech company that is you know, Zoom is sitting on $4 billion cash and they say they are acquisition minded. I would be amazed if at some point they don't make a fully embodied VR play. It could be in two years, it could be in two months, but that's certainly what's going to happen to the category, right? There aren't going to be 30 remote collaboration sites. You know, they'll probably be You you have to think about all these different silos that are going to exist. You know, the Facebook silo, the Niantic silo, you know, the the Google silo. So hopefully we'll have technology that cuts across them. But that is going to take a while, you know, where as an avatar, right, you could go from platform to platform and have the same avatar and have the same current digital currency. And, you know, that's where we need to get to. But, you know, that world is five plus years away. But meanwhile, all companies like Microsoft and its competitors are going to want to have remote collaboration built into it, you know, including Microsoft Teams. So I, I think that's going to be the near term direction. There'll be consolidation now that there's been this flowering of all these sites, but they all won't find an audience. Let's do a total shameless plug. Okay. Where can people get your book and where might they hear you speak in the very near future? Well, Thanks to Zoom, I'm, my talks are all over the internet. <laughs> I've spoken a lot over the past year, including at Augmented World Expo, where I introduced my book and did so from inside of VR, broadcasting to Zoom. Because I felt like the most important thing of my talk, at least there, was to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So it was a lot of fun doing that. I used the Spaces platform, and it was about a month before they were acquired. So maybe I indirectly helped persuade Apple of the value that they offered because I have no doubt, I am 100% certain when the Apple VR and AR devices come out that they will not have that many apps. But the apps that they have will be the absolute must-have apps. And telepresence is at the top of that list because people are the killer app. And apps that connect us to people, 
like our social media apps, are the most frequently used apps on our phone. You know, the number one app in the app store in all time has been Messenger, and it is still the largest platform. Now, there's, you know, there's WhatsApp and Telegraph and all sorts of different apps that let you do what Messenger does. Nonetheless, Messenger is the all-time champ, and it doesn't seem like they're going to give up that position anytime soon. And I think you just have to look at that and say, yeah, you know, when we have AR, that'll probably be a pretty big part of it. Charlie said his popular Forbes column, This Week in XR, is just about to celebrate its four-year anniversary. And something new has been added. We have, in the past year, turned it into a podcast. So released Friday morning, more or less contemporaneously with the publication of the roundup ted shilowitz and i do the news for 20 minutes spirited banter ted is the futurist for viacom so he was one of the founding executives of red camera he worked at apple for five years so he's a bit of a renaissance man and he's another genuine og so to speak we try and bring on guests particularly young women because i don't think anybody really wants to do our two east coast jews talk about tech so it's always (laughs) good to break that up and we're slowly slowly building an audience for those of you listening you can find the links inside of my forbes column or you know find us where all fine podcasts are located and just google us up as or, or search for this week in xr or by my name also if you're interested in vr and ar follow me on social media i'm at charlie fink on Twitter, and we publish VR news all day long. If people is the killer app, let's cover what a couple of the fun ones are that, let's say, could help us to play games with family in another region of the world or maybe see a movie. What are a couple you really love? I mean, Big Screen is a great app that actually screens movies that are in theaters, and you can see Mm -hmm. them with either other random, unique users inside a big screen or with your friends. AARP, of all companies, has set up a social place called Alcove. It's available for the Oculus Quest, and you can go into Alcove, meet your loved ones there, look at pictures together, watch a movie, do 360 videos. And of course, they have simple interactive games like checkers and chess. I don't know exactly what their numbers are, but it's a very, very well-regarded project. They have a terrific partner who built it for them, Rendever, that specializes, you know, it's a software development company in Boston, I believe AARP is a investor, and they built Alcove, but they also just updated TiltBrush and created a free version of TiltBrush called MultiBrush. So Rendever is branching out and becoming increasingly well-known for their excellent work, which includes Alcove, which I definitely recommend. If you're there to see family, You know, it's a great place to spend time. Big screen is terrific if you want to view content together, including YouTube, which, you know, could include your home movies. So, you know, there's, you know, a lot of social options developing for people as well. And certainly you can tootle around in VR chat or rec room or alt space with other people in a group, which I think is the most fun. And inside of those environments, you find different interactive games. I can, you and I could meet up in Rec Room for some paintball. Rec Room is entirely fee. It's in, it's infested with twelve-year-olds, unfortunately. Um, you know, there should be a version. Like I only want to see people over twenty-five. <laughs> well, that's me too. Um, but, usually, but they, 
Against, against Gravity was the software developer of Rec Room, and they actually, based on the success of Rec Room, have actually changed their name to Rec Room because it's really all they're doing. And, you know, some of them, I would not be surprised to see Facebook Reality Labs or the Oculus Store acquire them as they acquired Beat Saber. You know, they want to own their biggest franchises, which is, you know, not a crazy idea. I mean, the popularity of Beat Saber is, it's got to be the number one app in VR. You know, it's sort of the Pokemon, what Pokemon Go is to mobile, Beat Saber is to the Oculus Quest. I defy anybody not to dance along when they hear, <laughs> we love Beat Saber over here. Yeah. Finally, Charlie, at the very end of your book, you talk about how this sea change of a pandemic might have us reimagining our social system and our economy. How would you like to see that change by the time your little granddaughter is in the workforce? <laughs> Well, I certainly think, by the way, my little granddaughter and many people in business will have their first exposure to VR in an institutional situation. That said, five years from now, there's going to be 50 million VR headsets out there. So it'll be pretty common for people to have it in their home. But it'll be used for education, starting with higher education, right? Because most K through 12 schools don't really have the wherewithal to purchase VR headsets, and to deploy them at a school size scale, but that may not be necessary. Like mobile phones today, every kid may have one, but the uses beyond video games are far greater than video games themselves, but that's where it's starting, right? That's where the money is really going in VR right now, in consumer VR. But VR training, VR education, Companies like Accenture building their own elaborate VR systems for remote work are the way most people are going to get their first substantial exposure to VR. And that'll start happening more and more. Right now, it's a small thing, but you know, one of my the things that I do is I help companies visit all of the remote collaboration sites and decide really which ones are practical for them. And that is a sea change because now I'm dealing with senior management. And before it was limited to teams within a large company. So research and development in this one place in Boeing, which has got hundreds of thousands of employees, is using VR. Does that mean Boeing is using VR? Not really. But the real change now is I'm hearing from healthcare companies and others like my kid got a VR headset for Christmas and I used it and I thought, you know... (laughs) (laughs) maybe this could have some use to us because we need to be together, but we have to be apart. And certainly, right, is the pandemic mean the death of the office? No, of course not. There are too many things that have to be done in person, including succession planning, you know, mentorship, employee development. These are very, very difficult to do remotely. That said, people who are, for example, programmers, can work remotely and they can live much more cheaply two hours out of the city. And and maybe they come in once a week. Maybe they even stay overnight. They just bought a mansion for what they sold their apartment for. So, I mean, of course, we're going to see now a faster transition to a mixed workforce. And even executives who need to be in person will probably take a day where they work remotely so that they can actually get some work done. Because as we know, one of the things that we kind of got rid of was, you know, the tremendous amount of time wasting that happens during a work day. The commuting, the lunch, the lunch room, you know, the meetings, you know, you're constantly interrupted. I know that's still true. And Zoom is soporific. I mean, very hard 
to lean into Zoom for hours a day. I mean, I interview people on Zoom and I honestly retain more when I interview them on the phone. I had one interview last week where I wrote and wrote. It's okay, the article's coming out on Friday. And so on Thursday night, I sat down, maybe I interviewed the guy Monday or Tuesday, and I was just drawing it blank. <laughs> Anything that sounds like, fortunately, I have notes to kind of remind me. But even there, it was tough to remember. It's just tough to retain Zoom, and it's easy to retain VR. And I think that that's not a secret. And I think you need VR. I don't think you can eliminate Zoom and video conferencing, but you can greatly reduce it with VR. VR is really memorable. If you're doing something important, like training people at a technical matter, you know, or teaching biology or chemistry, you're going to do it better in VR compared to a video conference. In a way, you know, for example, I teach XR classes at Chapman University. One is in XR production, VR and AR production, and the other is called Landscape of Emerging Media, which is really in my wheelhouse, right? That's my two books, essentially. So in teaching those classes, I think the classes are better since we went remote. When we are back in the real, I will do probably 30% of the classes going back and forth between Zoom and VR as we do today. So, you know, I don't teach subjects that would be super hard to do remotely. This is super easy for me. I do feel for my other colleagues. And I think, you know, many of those subjects, as I said, would benefit greatly from being supplemented or shifting a lot of the work into VR, at least wholly or in part. And, you know, that's going to happen. That is going to happen. But we need to allow the devices to get into the marketplace and people need to be groomed to their presence like we were groomed to the presence of computers in the 80s, right? We saw them in businesses, we saw them in schools. And then in the early 90s, they became more accessible. I know the Apple II was out there and people were buying them, but it was a $3,000 computer that wasn't connected to the internet. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember bringing home a laptop I'm going to say it was 1992. And the first thing my wife said is, oh, my God, now you're never going to stop working. Me, a whole generation of boomers were, you know, forced into computing after spending the first dozen years of our careers or, or more in the analog world that hadn't changed in decades, right? I mean, when I was in film school in the early 80s, I was using World War II equipment. Yeah, when I went to broadcasting school mid-80s, I was using reel-to-reels. Exactly. So and you were cutting tape with a razor. Exactly. Just <laughs> <laughs> as I was chopping up plastic to make films. And today it's this. Today it's the mouse. In my iPhone, I have more power than that which sent men to the moon. No, that's mind-blowing. In your back pocket is... It's lifted a billion people out of poverty. Wow. So even though it has affected society in many negative ways, you know, like, you know, it's hard to argue with that. Charlie, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Dot. Thanks again for bringing me back on your show. You and I have been listening to futurist, XR consultant, Forbes columnist, and educator Charlie Fink. Charlie is the author of three books on XR, including his new one, Remote Collaboration, Virtual Conferences, and the Future of Work. Find out more about Charlie's books, his blog, and his XR presentations on his website, charliefink.com. That's charliefink.com. 
and check out his podcast, This Week in XR, on Forbes.com and the various podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And for updates on the latest developments in the XR field, follow Charlie on Twitter at Charlie Fink. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.